0: 777 Radio. This is episode 202. Jason Linger is with me, and Athan Kamente is back. Those who have followed may remember Athan is a sidereal astrologer. What that basically means, for the sake of conversation, is he looks up in the sky, and what he sees in the sky, he goes with. No calculations to move it to some other configuration. Um, but before we jump in here, uh, on and some followers have been uh, mentioning this, which is a good thing. Jason and I get so busy; it's not you know we miss a lot of things in the world, including sky stuff. Uh, on February the eighteenth, in the a.m. in the daytime morning hours for most of us in North America, and if you're not in North America, you got to bust out Stellarium to look up what I'm about to tell you. There's going to be what I call an occultation of Mars, which simply means that the Moon will go over and for sake of conversation, or Mars will go behind the Moon. Um, Don't hold me. You understand what I'm trying to describe here. Now, for people who followed a long time, you may recall that based on research that I did, that is, you can't really look up anymore, there were a bunch of royal astronomers back in the day who claimed when the moon was new or young, it's see-through. They used examples with Jupiter and other things. These people were defamed for reporting these ideas, and there were a number of them. And again, they're very difficult to look up now. This is not the perfect conditions, but if we were not moving towards new moon, and but but away from new moon, they would be damn near perfect conditions. My point here is, go out and film from between 6 a.m. and 10 a.m. for most of us in the United States, Mars going behind the moon um, and get a good close shot on it. This is not one of those times you wanna get as close as you can and you gotta have good focus. Um, This is not one of those times when you want to back off the Moon in full frame. Whatever your system is, a P900, a P1000, a telescope, you'd like to be right in on the action as Mars goes behind, as it travels behind, and as it pokes back out the other side. Um, And again, I'd be very surprised if there was any report of a see-through Moon under these conditions, but you never know what you don't know. Anyhow, that was a mouthful. Welcome, Jason. Good morning, Crow. So, have we anything? We are so far ahead, I'm reasonably sure we have nothing for the intro. <laughs> but let, let's maximize. We've had Athen waiting here for a while. Welcome, Athen.
1: Hey, guys. Thank you. Thank you again for having me.
0: So, we wanted to catch up with you again because as I took a break from my research, I have like a stack of books that I'm trying to get through that is keeping me ridiculously busy um, trying to ever push the boundaries uh, but as I took breaks, man, 2020 is going to be a big year for events in the sky, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's already started too with uh, Saturn conjunct Pluto. Uh, for those of you who know this kind of restructuring that's going to start to happen, and will probably be quite significant next year too. Once we have these plants go into Capricorn, which will be um, you know a lot of the systems and things like that. But yeah, things have started now with some restructuring some transformations and uh, hopefully some new beginnings that emerge for some new foundations from all this.
0: Well, let's point out a thing or two about Pluto since we know after that fateful day back in 2001, Pluto actually got demoted by Neil, my booty, Tyson, Uh, or he was one of the people that helped demote it. Suddenly, it was no longer considered a so-called planet. So let's point out to people that when the Titans in Greek myth were overthrown, the three brothers divided up the world. Zeus got everything, Poseidon got the oceans, and what did Pluto got? He got the underworld, maybe what we might call Hades. But can you just kind of redefine ideas around Pluto? Because I'm guessing since Pluto was demoted, there are probably people who pay little or no attention to it.
1: Yeah. So uh, Pluto being the last planet we look at astrologically uh, speaking uh, in astrology, and, and that can represent these sort of cycles and themes in our life, uh, does specifically deal with transformation. Um, a kind of analogy of that is is if we do kind of take Pluto to be the um, kind of ruler of the underworld or afterlife or this kind of a thing, um, it represents this kind of passing through kind of energy. Like if, if there is you know, birth on the other side of death, if there's this kind of um, afterlife, so to speak, then Pluto we would have to pass through, essentially. And so Pluto brings up all of the attachments um, that we have in this life, all of the deep things that we hold on to very tightly and um, helps us release those. And so uh, that's what deals with transformation. There's endings, there's releasing, but then there's also the rebirth and the transformation. This is why uh, Scorpio was... You know, originally associated with the eagle, uh, which is that phoenix rising up out of the ashes, which is associated with that same uh, Pluto energy.
0: For people who have followed the encoding of the four Gospels back in like stone monuments from Lord knows how long ago, you will always understand. You see the, the, the head of the man or the face of the man, the lion, the bull, and the eagle. This is what Athena is representing. These are the four Gospels. That eagle is being encoded from an older time. That eagle became in the modern era, the way we view it, as the low, lowly, loathful scorpion uh, coming into the fall of all things but getting back to Pluto I concur Athen those are the ideas that have been put forward by the myth but let's put a fine point on it most people think oh Hades that's a bad thing Um, And in the movies, you've seen it all the time. Uh, Someone supposedly dies, or they don't always die, actually, in myth, but they're going to cross the river Styx and pay the ferryman and go over to where the dead people are. Um, There's a transformation that has occurred for those people from life to what they're calling death. By the way, the idea of Hades is nothing what most people think of in a lot of these old myths. Um, They're used to what Hollywood has told us. But is it a negative connotation happen. I mean, we've said Hades, everyone's probably thinking, oh, that's hell, that's bad. There's nothing good about it. Is that true?
1: Right, exactly. No. So, yeah, so it's the death, but it's the rebirth, right? And, and, and there's nothing, you know, infinitely that dies in the universe. And, you know, if we want to use, like, mainstream science, you know, that whole idea that energy can't be destroyed, right? It can only be transformed. So so that's what Pluto represents. Uh, You know, a lot of um, mainstream channels do focus on the death side of Pluto as it being like the finite ending death, but don't give as much attention to the rebirth side of it. And fundamentally what it's saying is, is that in order to have a new beginning, you do have to have the transformation and a sort of ending of something that was prior to that. And um, if you just focus on the death side of it, then yeah, you'll be locked into that fear mode, you will be focused on the endings and not on the new beginning side, which is equally as important for Pluto, if not the whole purpose of what Pluto is trying to do. Again, it is for that transformation, it is for that rebirth, and that again, kind of Phoenix out of the ashes analogy.
0: Right. And maybe we should just point out, uh, in the modern era, death has become a very fearful thing. But the truth is, is we're all born, we all die. It is as natural as anything can be in this 3D material reality. Maybe death is not something people should fear. After all, every single thing that has ever lived goes through that gateway that we call death. All right. Where should we jump in here, Athan? Do we want to give a quick overview before we begin to cover things about what's going to happen in 2020? After all, we got an election. We got uh, Tokyo Olympics. We got some big worldwide events coming in this year. So why don't you just quickly choose a handful or whatever you think is is reasonable of the big salient events that people might take an interest in with cameras or in simply just knowing?
1: yeah, for sure. So um the main events astrologically is that we do have three planets contacting, which is very rare, at least three outer planets contacting. These are planets that move very, very slowly, and they, you know to have three of them contacting at the same time is a very rare uh, event. And so that's Saturn, the planet that rules things like the structures, our systems, the foundations of things. We have Pluto, the transformation, and again, that conjunction in January. Uh, which we're still in effect with, is about restructuring, particularly our perception. I'll get to that next because this is all in Sagittarius and all has to do with our perception. And I think that's what's going through a transformation process. But then at the end of the year, we have um, Jupiter conjoining up to Saturn and Jupiter contacting Pluto throughout the year. So Jupiter also deals with the perception. It deals with our ideas, our beliefs. And so fundamentally, that is what's transforming. And I think with a lot of these events that we're seeing, the underlying theme here is what is this going to finalize into? Because these planets are going to leave Sagittarius at the end of the year. And when a planet leaves, it means the final culmination of that. And in this case, in Sagittarius, it's what are our beliefs going to change into? What is going to be the collective perception on things? How are we going to be perceiving things collectively? And that's really what's changing. I think that's what's really important to bring attention to so that we can do that in our personal life. right? Be aware of changing our own perceptions in a way that's more expansive and seeing the truth in the bigger picture. Um, And then also there might even be some things going on collectively, maybe with the elite who are, again, using this astrology to, again, change our perception and kind of control that perception through this restructuring process.
0: Right. You know, if I could put a a wish or a dream under the wish tree, I would hope for fear going away. So much fear all the time. Um, I could make endless puns. Be careful when you look at the corona of the sun, hint, hint, hint. What is that? Oh, that's crown of the sun.
2: That sounds familiar.
0: Yeah, all this fear all the time, uh, making people fearful. And I agree with you, Athen. Um, I We can already see it. I can already feel shifts in what people email to me, what they're thinking about. Um, there is a consciousness shift going. And here we have the two big boys, the two big ideas, those two of the biggest luminaries, which represent big ideas. In myth, they were the big boys. You had Zeus and you had Kronos. And then we've got some change to go along with that.
2: There was something you said early on that I'd like to address real quick, and that was about the four Gospels. So obviously that's a New Testament Christian reference. What would that have been
0: before that? I guess I'm not following the thread exactly. What we're saying here is you can go to a lot of artwork, including in stone, and find the representation of the man, the lion, the bull, and the eagle, and these Are of course, encodes of the sky clock. But more so, I I don't want to harm people's (laughs) sensitivities here. I really don't. These things are undeniable. But what we're basically saying in this encode is we're talking about seasons.
2: That's what I figured.
0: Back in the day, seasons were all important. And even in the biblical scripture, seasons are all important. Book of John, verily, verily, I say unto you, he's talking about the spring. This is when things get planted. And back in the day, you had to plant on time. You know why? Because when fall came, if you were not successfully harvesting, you were in big trouble. Because guess what? After the harvest, you ain't growing a lot of things until you get back around to spring, and yet you have to live. This is also the idea of the blood moon coming after the harvest. Now we got to kill things to eat. So those were the ideas, if that's what you were getting at, Jason.
2: Well, I figure it was important to address because, obviously, astrology has been around in many forms long before the Christian religion was, and we just kind of glossed
0: over it. I wanted to get that point made. Right. I'll just say sky clock. Every time we say astrology, we're we're taking a shotgun and loading it with all this baggage that word carries with it. That's why I use the word sky clock. There's never been a time in this world, except for now, (laughs) basically, when the sky clock hasn't been very darn important. So anyhow, getting back to Athens... So we need to point something out. You just talked about what's called the great conjunction comes around every 20 years. There is a lot written on the fact that this happens once every 20 years, which is almost like saying once every generation. Some people uh, mark a generation at 20 or 25 years. This is this is pliable. You see all kinds of descriptions, but I think it's an apt one. So a person who lives their life up into older years might see three or four of these if they're fortunate. But the point, this one, is on a very special day, isn't it, Athen? It is on the winter solstice. And should we take a minute to point out why that's a big deal? Uh, should we point out, for a layman's view, why a solstice is important, these kinds of ideas? Uh, I'm sorry, what's the, uh, what's the event that's happening during the solstice? The Great Conjunction happening on December 21, happening on the solstice. Which luminaries? Uh Uh-oh, am I messing up here? I'm busting open a thing because you're making me nervous thinking I didn't do my homework. We have an eclipse. Well, we have an eclipse at the summer solstice, an annular solar eclipse, but that's not for everybody. Um, I don't think we have a view of it here in the United States. Last time I checked, I'm referring to what's called the great conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter.
1: Oh, Sat. Right. Okay. Saturn, Jupiter. Yeah. Yeah. So the uh, let's see conjunction there will be yeah December twenty first.
0: All right. Okay. You were making me nervous there that uh, <laughs> I had not corrected. Just, I've been I've been working on that assumption a while, and to me <laughs> anything that happens on a solstice or an equinox has added import.
1: Yeah. No. It definitely does. It definitely does. I just wasn't sure what what. Uh, what you meant by the great conjunction, but now I got make, Saturn. can you G-
0: second-guess myself there. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, so these two planets, they're polarities to each other, so these two luminaries. And so if we look at the size of these uh, luminaries in the sky and where they would be kind of operating is they, they operate in the same kind of sphere. So Saturn deals with contraction, and like I was saying, that's the foundation's Um, that we're building. It deals more with the physical Earth, third dimension kind of stuff. And then Jupiter is the complete opposite to that. It deals with expansion. It deals with philosophy, the abstract realms, right? The the things that expand horizons. So yeah, when these get together, it becomes very, very uh, constructive because these two, you could say, are kind of like the creators of the universe in a sense. And that's where a lot of like what you're saying in the uh, Greek mythology, in a sense of like, there's certain time periods, right? Like, Kronos had his time period, um, you know, for a very long time, and then it, you know, came to Zeus, and so Zeus had his time period. These These two sort of gods, so to speak, are considered the kind of overseer of all the other gods. And um, they're the kind of significators of certain time periods of being under under Kronos or under, um, in this case, Zeus. So, yeah, these two, when they get together, they could be seen as like the manifestors of our reality, where Jupiter's the ages of philosophy, of higher knowledge, higher wisdom. Saturn is that of work and physical labor and, you know, more of the physical world. So them getting together is kind of like the yin and yang, kind of like masculine, feminine, contraction, expansion. And um, again, this is happening in Sagittarius, so it will be something new likely emerging from this conjunction. In regards to our beliefs, both being solidified with Saturn, which is the grounding of our beliefs, which has been going on the past couple of years with Saturn and uh, Sagittarius, and then Jupiter, the expansion of them. So with this, again, I think a solidification of beliefs. It's good to be grounded, see the reality of things, but at the same time, see the bigger picture and you know spread the truth and and see what's uh, the more higher perspective on the matter. And in this way, it does certainly uh, signify a new beginning of collective perception on the world
0: in that sense yeah let's point out a couple things because i don't want a lot of minds are going to go hippy dippy at this point but here's the problem it's a sky clock that sky clock does what it does and to prove uh in a meaningful way for the average mind that the sky clock is in fact marking points that matter it is the sky clock that tells us when it's springtime when it's summertime when it's fall and when it's winter When you're in California, those ideas don't matter as much per se to the average human life as when you're in Alaska, as a point I would make. But they do matter. And to take it a step further, to get a little more finite, you will find things like where I am. The horseshoe crabs come every year. That's because of the phase of the moon in a certain month, every year. The Great Barrier Reef, said to be the biggest living organism that's ever put itself together in our world, spawns. This whole massive structure spawns one night, and that is also to the sky clock, the moon partially, but that same month every year. It's undeniable what we're talking about here, but let's get just momentarily into why the low point of the sun that we call the winter solstice that most of us this time of year we associate with Christmas, which is actually three days later in this part of the world. So if I was going to take a venture At describing why the solstice matters without getting all astrologically minded, I would say this. We have a year, and a year marks a very specific part of time. And how many people can argue that last year was different than this year? It was, or for that matter, not so much for some reason in the new millennium. The decades don't seem as distinct as they used to back in the 1900s, but it's a similar idea. So from a layman's point of view, maybe you can think about it like this. The sun hits its lowest point and you could make the allegory the sun has died and three days later it starts to rise again what that actually means is the sun hits its lowest point from our point of view and then it begins to rise again three days later what that actually means is as we go down the nights are getting longer, the days are getting shorter. As we hit that point, everything stops. Then three days later, guess what? The days start getting longer, the nights start getting shorter as we head up to spring. Now, there are people who will say, as people progress, like think of think of the time 1995 to the year 2012, how much human consciousness had really shifted and started to change and become more perceptive. So keep that in mind. As I say, there will pe- there are people that say the sun is the portion of the sky clock that represents what's coming next in the new year. Almost like when it goes down to the low point, this part of the program has come to an end. It's refreshing, being reborn, so to speak, just for the sake of language. And then the new influences for that year start up. And then they start to pick up momentum all the way to the summer, high point of the sun. Then they start to decrease all the way down to the 21st. So what do you think, Athen? Was that a decent layman's description?
1: That's no, how I see it too. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to have the beginning of, let's say, a year, I mean, it should definitely be on the winter solstice. It is the ending and also the new beginning. And we were talking about Pluto. And if there was a season that was associated with Pluto, this would be it. So it is the ending of the previous cycle or the previous year. And of course, the new beginning as well in that sense. Yeah. And the interesting thing too, like you were saying, so with Jupiter and Saturn getting together, usually conjunctions in the sky clock uh, signify new beginnings, anyways. And the fact that it's happening right on the solstice um, does signify this kind of um, new beginning. And again, in Sagittarius, I think it is about uh, the perception. And a very interesting thing about that as well is this is the time of Sagittarius, right? So the sun's going to be passing over here. Um, so if we look at, you know, it's the age of Pisces, for example. So Pisces is the sign that's, uh, that the sun's in during the spring equinox. Uh, the sun's in Sagittarius uh, during that um, winter solstice right now. And so um, in this sense, it's the time of Sagittarius. It's getting activated in sense of new beginnings with this uh, great conjunction. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, here's a point where we need to bring up a thing that's going to be touchy. And I'll say it again. I'm not trying to insult anyone's sensibility. I do research and I state what I think is correct truthfully. You don't have to agree. Um, you certainly don't have to agree. I invite you all day long to try to rip holes in the logic that got me to where I am, truly. But here's part of the problem with the great conjunction. Everybody knows that pays attention to the sky clock, that when Jupiter and Saturn conjunct, and by the way, hardly anyone's including Pluto in all this, which is a bit ironic since it got demoted by officialdom. You know, oh, that light's no longer in the sky or we're going to call it something insignificant now. My point here is, People who rearrange the sky clock based on the idea of the precession of the equinoxes to something that we don't see over our head feel like we're going into the age of Aquarius. And I'm sorry, I'm not with you. Not trying to insult you, but from the logic and the work that I have done, I think we can pretty much show that this is all going to happen in an earth sign again, not an air sign. You have to change what we see actually physically there over our heads. For this to be true, and I would further remind everybody that the oldest accounts of how we determine an age that I have ever found say this, where is the sun rising on the day of the spring equinox? What constellation is behind the sun? That is the age you were in. Now, if you do that, you will see that we're firmly still in Pisces, probably for two, three, four, I don't know, a few hundred years anyhow. But here's the problem. We've demonstrated that the Zodiac has been changed, and here's where a lot of people get upset. But I'm sorry, man. I did the research. I went back and got a map from the 1600s. I can prove that Libra was added into the Zodiac. It did not always occur there. They cut off the claws or the sea laws of the scorpion to put in that justice symbol, Libra. And I attach it all day to Admiralty Law. So the problem becomes, for people who would like to get into this and argue it further, how do we trust the boundaries? Well, from my point of view, we can't. But nonetheless, we have to have a conversation. So, Athen, anything you'd add to those ideas? The basic point I just made is, from my point of view, this conjunction will not occur for the first time in thousands of years in an air sign. It will once again occur in an earth sign.
1: Uh, fire, fire. So it all, the. Oh, uh,
0: I, I'm, no, 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 I'm sorry. Yes, but not an yeah. air sign.
1: Not Not in the Earth sign that people think it is, yeah, because in mainstream, I'm, I'm hearing air sign from people, so the so in mainstream uh, astrology, they're saying that um, the Jupiter Saturn conjunction is going to be in Capricorn. Uh, which is an earth sign. Maybe they're tying it to the age of Aquarius, I'm not sure, but that's where it will visibly be in the sky is in
0: Capricorn. Yeah, this you know, I think I partially messed up what I just said. I'm sorry. Every time I start talking about Earth, air water, if I'm if I'm not thinking very carefully, because it has to associate with some constellation. But I'm seeing people who get followed a lot saying an air sign. Capricorn, of course, would be an earth sign. Capricorn, of course, would be the house of Saturn. Is that correct?
1: That's that's exactly correct.
0: Yeah. So so that that's the whole narrative. But the, the point I'm trying to make is what you do and what I do is we simply look up and see what's there, and we go with that. We don't make any calculation to change it. And from my point of view, I don't see any reasonable reason to do that. And let me just state for the record, it's because I don't accept procession. I don't accept the description of procession. So we don't have to agree on that, but that's how I arrive at, Look, if I can see this is what's physically above me, that's what I'm going with, and I think that is the impetus behind a lot of sidereal. But I apologize; I kind of feel like I messed up that whole monologue.
1: No, I mean I think that's hitting the the point: is that uh, they're saying it's somewhere that it's not, and um, in this case, they're saying it's in what would be an Earth sign, Capricorn, if if you associate it with that. Um, but it is actually in Sagittarius, so it's in a completely different sign. And and again, there's a big difference here because you know Capricorn. Is associated with completely different things than Sagittarius. Capricorn is much like Saturn, like the systems and structures, but that has more to do with the what takes time and patience and working hard and that kind of energy. Um, and that you could be, you could associate that with Kronos energy, right? So Saturn, Kronos, Capricorn. We're in the constellation during the. Um, winter solstice here of Zeus, of Jupiter, of expansion, of beliefs, of our perspective. And that's where the Great Conjunction is taking place. It's a whole new beginning with our perception. And a lot of the things we're going to see this year are going to be possibly manipulations or changes of this perception, but it's very important that we do again, see the truth with Sagittarius, Sagittarius Zeus, the truth, like, what do we visibly see? What is our actual perception, not the one that we're influenced by, but the one that we believe, like, what is our, our soul telling us? What is our spirit telling us about, you know, what what is life and what is this experience and what is going on? Like, this is fundamentally, you know, the vast difference between these two.
0: Right. And so I'll just make one more statement because I get so many emails from people interested in having studied for so long in Tropical. And one of the things that gets emailed me to a lot is, how can you say these things? Don't you see the work of this person or that person? And they're close. And I agree. Of course, they're close because they're in the season. At the base of all this, from my point of view, the main division is the seasons. And so even if you're calculating away, you're almost always very close to or in the season being referenced. But here's my issue. All the work I've done on ideas in alchemy and spagyrics particularly, when I first started to read them, I thought that's a hell of a claim. But as I went through and found people from all over different parts of the world who lived in different times, they're making these claims that if you get your timing spot on to nature, the result is almost magical. It's this special thing that a human being has because they have the divine spark to be able to go into nature, which is perfect from our point of view, and elevate it just a little bit more because we understand nature to the point where that sky clock is no mystery. The point I'm making here is, do you want to be close or do you want to try to explore whether that spot on perfect target hit is damn near magical in its aspirations? That's where I'm coming from. I want to know, is that true? If we understood all the way and we hit the nail right on the head, timed it perfect to the sky clock, to nature, when it's spring, we know right when it's spring. When we harvest this plant, we know right when to do it according to these old ideas. I want to know, is there a significant difference between being in the ballpark and hitting it right on the head? And that's why I go down these roads. So, Athen, um, we've pointed out that the sky is going to be very interesting this year for two overarching reasons that poke right out. At the summer solstice, or the height of the power of the sun, the day before it begins to decline, down towards winter, there's going to be an annular, what's called the solar eclipse. And by the way, I'll say it again, the moon plays no role it eclipses it's a thing called rahu it's a node covered in the vedic ideas i've proven that the moon plays no role in solar eclipses but then again at the other solstice the low point of the sun we have what's called the great conjunction which some people find feel like it's almost like the definition of a generation coming every 20 years are there other events in and around these times that stand out as unusual for this year
1: yeah, yeah. So the fact that, again, we're having that Saturn, Jupiter right on the solstice and a total solar eclipse on uh, December 14th. Yeah, this is very, very significant. And then, like you mentioned, Pluto being close by. So, th- this is all like, like you said, like in this sense, like if we just take Saturn and Jupiter, yeah, it's like roughly every 18, 20 years. Pluto and Saturn is one like every 36, 37 years. But once you start adding this, what would be Rahu or what they call the South node, we're starting to get into the multiples of like, what is the possibility of having all these together? So it is, it is very significant. And I do think we're going to see some, like I said, collective shifts, mainly at the end of the year when we have these official conjunctions and we go into the new year, uh, because we're also going to have a lot of sign changes. So some of these luminaries are going to begin to change signs as well, which we can talk about. But on the point of the uh, of the solar eclipse on the 14th of December, it is going to be right inside of the constellation of fucus and this is very significant because this is the 13th sign it's the one that is completely omitted from mainstream across the board is also associated with pluto and in this case it is a whole new beginning to the healer archetype so okay so what's what's the date in the event again please uh december 14th solar eclipse in fucus
0: is that ai didn't I wasn't even aware of this one uh, that tells you how how much I'm able to keep up these days. Is that a full solar eclipse? And is it visible in our part of the world? And I'm saying the United States is our part of the world.
1: I'll have to double check where it's visible. I haven't checked that yet, but the whole world will be under the influence of it, at least again with the sky clock. Right. But, yeah, it will be uh, December 14th uh, for the now, whole world. There.
0: Now, let's just mention um, the annular solar eclipse that's occurring at the solstice in june uh, is not visible in the united states but um anytime an eclipse happens there's this idea uh, that it's an unusual event and it's it has these effects and here's the thing and i'll remind everyone i don't believe things just because i read or i told i try to prove them or logically say this has merit i was going back and forth on eclipses forever The last full solar eclipse we had in, I think it was the 17th of 2017, and was it August? I don't know. I'm just pulling numbers out of my head, but everybody knows. Last full solar eclipse here. That's the last eclipse that I needed to prove the moon plays no role in these things. I proved you cannot detect the moon. No matter what you do, and I did it across multiple eclipses, but I did another thing that day. Almost wish I hadn't, but I did. I had been a sun gazer. Just to put it out there, and I'll say it again, don't go stare at the sun. If you don't know what you're doing, you'll hurt your eyes. I'm not kidding you. Don't just start staring at the sun. unless you know what you're doing. During the fullest extent of the eclipse in my area, I stared at the sun until my eyes adjusted, and it was the gnarliest chaos I have ever seen in my life. I was so stunned by it that I, I just didn't know what to think at first. It was almost like everything was ricocheting, like the light was not coming in straight lines or I don't even know how to describe it. On a typical day of sun gazing, it is the polar opposite. It's calming. It's energetic, makes you feel purified and have energy. Sometimes your vision feels like it's improved on a normal day of viewing the sun, sun gazing on a sunrise or a sunset. This was chaos beyond description. I now accept the accounts that I was trying to challenge that what's actually going on here is the lights being blocked. That's a good way for us to think of it. Is it good, you know, for those of us who appreciate the light, is it a good thing when the light is blocked? What would you add about all that? That's just my personal, where I've arrived personally, Athen. But do you view the blocking of the light of the sun as a positive event, or is it less a positive event and more a blocking of light negative event?
1: Well, I kind of have the view that, you know, everything in life is, um, it has both polarities to it, no matter how you, you know, you can perceive something as positive or as as negative. Um, But it is definitely on the deeper side of things for sure. And the way I would describe it personally is that it takes you into the unconscious realms. Mm. So that is chaos, of course. Um, And that's, you know. Collective, unconscious, but it's also, you know, personal in our personal lives in certain areas wherever it's happening, you know, in each of our charts and things. But yeah, it is the unconscious mind is complete chaos. And that is exactly opposite of what the sun and light represents. Light is consciousness, it's ego, it's out in the world, it's physical awareness. And when that gets dimmed, like you said, yeah, it just brings us into the unconscious realms. And we have to navigate it or at least try to make some sense of it or, I don't know, release, let go. There's a lot of different perspectives in terms of, you know, what it's, um, you know, how to work with it. But fundamentally, it is for spiritual growth. And um, I think by working with it, you know, learning more about the unconscious and and accepting more of this is like facet of life because, Especially when we look at this in a fucus, because a fucus represents the kind of shadow of the mind, you could say, or the collective mind as well. And this is kind of like Jungian terms of like the shadow being everything that gets subjugated to the unconscious. So like when we're born, we have an ego and we, we say, like this is right, this is wrong. All the things that we say is wrong or negative get sort of subjugated or exiled into the unconscious. And that's the Jungian expression of doing shadow work, of going into the unconscious to accept these wrong, exiled, you know, chaotic elements of the self and work with them. Work with them in a way that we become more conscious of them, we merge the light into the unconscious, and in this way we become more holistic, we become more of our true self. And uh, that's exactly what I think eclipses are doing, is bringing us into the personal and collective unconscious to, again, make sense with it, work with it, and really just accept whatever comes up as an aspect of life. Not that it's right, but as an aspect of life that we can then work with that can then be manifested in healthy, conscious, and balanced ways.
0: I'm glad you brought up the shadow ideas, and I'll bring up a thing that's encoded all the time that very few people ever catch. It's the use of an umbrella, which is a power symbol to start with. But how many people recall When you're looking at something like a so-called lunar eclipse, uh, the shadow is called an umbra. Okay, you with me? The other part of that shadow, the way that the mainstream describes it, is the penumbra. But umbra is the word we're interested in here, which is also the root word for umbrella, which relates to exactly what Athen was talking about. So this power symbol, the umbrella, umbra, the shadow, the eclipsing shadow, in, in the way we see it most often, is putting this power in the shade, out of view, so to speak, covered. And this will relate to Rain Man ideas, which I think we're going to cover with, uh, with Wayne. But I wanted to point that out, because here's another instance of we're talking about the sky clock, we're talking about eclipses, and there's the language, and words have meaning umbra. You want to move on, Athen, or would you like to say anything about umbras?
1: Oh, no, I didn't even. I wasn't even aware of that. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, Nothing to add,
0: though. Yeah, yeah, there's a common encode around the umbrella idea and the umbra, the shadowy power figure symbolized by an umbrella, um, the idea of the Rain Man, which is basically satanic. People will know the movie of the same name, and I use that word because it's the only way I know how to describe it. Uh, I'm not implying there's a man with a pitchfork, but I think people understand what I'm getting at when it's encoded in popular culture.
2: Is that another perversion, though? Because I know Eminem used that for a little while during his darker phases. No,
0: he's referencing a thing. I say it all the time. What's the mob say? Don't give it a name, Vinny. Uh, He's giving it a name. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to get off track for just a second, but I'm going to go right back because I don't want to lose all this time with Athens. Every name used in this world has a meaning. And the way that name is used, it's important. And we've forgotten these things. That's why there's 100,000 Davids in the United States. No one's got a unique, I'll just call it a moniker. That's not right, but people know what I mean. Um, There was a time when people got really more unique names. If you look at the name Rain used as a name, it typically means gifts from above and other things. This is perverted in the use of Rain Man, and it is. It's a Luciferian kind of semi-satanic usage, and I know everyone's going to be thinking about the old Tom Cruise movie, which they should, but I could right now... I'm not going to, because we're doing something else here, pop off something like 14 or 15 artists who have recently, mostly in rap, a little bit in rock, have recently referenced the Rain Man coming to take over their mind, their soul, and their body. Eminem being one of them, but I'm stepping back. We'll cover that with Wayne or something, because this relates to the work Wayne is doing for one of the upcoming episodes. To get back to Athens, sorry for the sidetrack, Athens. People have been talking about other events. I don't know whether they're conjunctions or planetary alignments. Are you aware of any of these? I I simply did not have time to go through the entire year uh, before we did the episode.
1: Um, This is probably what most people are referring to is these uh, three, arguably four planets, if you include Rahu, South Node, getting together. But if you look at it using the actual sky clock, um, there is other things going on that probably are not talked about, and they definitely should be talked about. Um, for example like i said saturn is going to start to enter into the constellation of capricorn where there's going to be new structures built because again capricorn is the kind of it's saturn's sign it's his home sign so it deals with building new foundations essentially and after this pluto conjunction um, it's in the wake of whatever gets transformed uh, throughout this year let me insert
0: an Mm -hmm. idea here since you just said that it's critically important this is 2020 in the West, that's the idea of perfect vision, but if you remove the zeros, it's the master builder's number, which relates exactly to what Athan just pointed out. I apologize for stepping on you. Please continue.
1: Oh, no worries. So so yeah, so that's gonna start March through June. So in the actual visible sky, if you go look up March through June, Saturn is gonna start to get closer to Capricorn than Sagittarius. So start to enter that constellation. Then Saturn will go retrograde, appear, you know, to move backwards and Then we'll do his last transit of Sagittarius, so that'll be, again, working on the beliefs and the perspectives and our perception on reality. And then officially in December, again, everything is coinciding in December, it's very important to recognize this, Um, Saturn will then go back into Capricorn for good, where he'll stay for about the next two years uh, through 21 and 22. So uh, that's very significant. And then we also do have Neptune going into, quote unquote, his natural constellation of Pisces. So Neptune being the ruler of the oceans and of the sea going into Pisces, which represents the oceans and seas of life. So that's going to start April to September. Neptune will dip into Pisces, come back here into Aquarius, and then officially enter into Pisces for good in 2021. So there's a lot of sign changes, which in the sky clock, this means a lot of shifts taking place collectively with these outer planets. And again, coinciding a lot with December and a lot with these uh, conjunctions that we have going on does make it a very significant year, for sure. All
0: right, I want to try to do something, hope you're with me, that we didn't plan on doing. Um, We're recording this right before February 2nd. Jason, February 2nd's the Super Bowl, right? Super Bowl. (laughs) Let me double check that, because I actually don't know. Shows you how much I pay attention to the sports ball. Do you know, Athen? Is the Super Bowl this Sunday, Athen? Do you know? Um,
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't watch.
0: (laughs) watch None of us watch sports. (laughs) (laughs) None of us know.
2: Yes, indeed. It is this Sunday, February 2nd.
0: All right, Athen, can we do this? And we'll put it in an edit point if it's needed. The Superb Owl is happening on February 2nd. Can you just open up a tool real quick and take a look at that day and just give impressions or mention things that are going on? Yeah, sure. Let me, let me do that. Let's see. I, th- I think it's interesting because it's pretty clear, I hope, to people that we didn't plan to do this. And um, I don't know, maybe it'll backfire on me. But nonetheless, I think it's interesting to look.
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay, so uh, no major like, you know, collective um, aspects taking place um, on that day. We will be in the uh, first quarter phase of the lunar month. And this is in the context of the new moon that we will have or had uh, back uh, last Friday. So last Friday, we had a new beginning in Capricorn. And um, on February 2nd, we will have the moon Uh, in Aries. So
2: Mm. it's
1: usually, again, with the sky clock, the the, the first quarter is considered like a square kind of energy, a kind of clash, you could say, between the sun and moon aspects of ourselves. So again, kind of the yin-yang, outer reality, unconscious reality kind of thing. So in this case, the challenge will be collectively in terms of how can we continue to focus on These restructurings that are taking place in our life, the new foundations, again, that Capricorn-Saturn kind of energy, but in this case with Aries, and that's Mars energy, that's, you know— it's it's fight it's um it is very much about sports it is about um, our Mm -hmm. egos right all that kind of stuff so that'll be a bit of a challenge there collectively and i think being conscious of it um, will be a healthy way of working with that like how can we have healthy you know self-awareness and independence and satisfy our needs while at the same time be patient and you know grounded and responsible which is that capricorn energy and I'll, i'll pull this up a little bit more too um, there's another chart I can pull up just to get a little more insight on that.
0: Do yeah, uh, you see, see anything about so-called planets,
1: luminaries? Yeah, let's take a look. This might take a bit because I have to uh,
0: cast. We can put an edit point, and I wanted to ask Jason anyhow. Jason, what teams are playing? I, I, I was wondering if the Titans were going to go and give us the Saturn Rising idea, but I, I think if someone told me the Titans are no longer in, do you know what the name of the teams uh, in the Super Bowl are?
2: It is San Francisco 49ers against Kansas City Chiefs.
0: Oh, um okay. I guess I have to think about that, um but I'm not the best sports guy anyhow cuz I pay zero attention. But anyhow, thanks man. Uh Athen, let me know when you're when you got your tools up and you can Okay. Yeah, I got it up
1: now. Yeah, so let's see this is Feb- so that's this yeah, this Sunday. Okay. So, yeah, so February 2nd we have uh along with what I said there Venus is going to be Sextiling Pluto. And so this does mean usually a bit of an opening for getting into some Pluto energy, which is truth and depth and transformation, all that stuff we've been talking about. But in this sense, it's a little bit easier to work with. It is a kind of opening, and it could be, in a sense, quite enjoyable to get into some of the deeper dimensions of life, you know, talking truth, sharing philosophy, you know, anything intimacy, anything that's more on that healthier expression of depth. truth there is a bit of a supportive energy but again it is the first quarter phase of the cycle so it is a challenging kind of phase to uh you know bring extra attention to that again mars side of ourself and saturn side of ourself in that sense to make sure everything's nice and balanced and and healthy there
0: what are all the luminaries that will be in the sky that night for us in our area just the united states in general don't have to be specific to a location so we have a mars idea we have a venus pluto idea uh, anything else going on there?
1: So you mean at, at, at like at night uh, yeah, that like we can if I, see? If
0: I walked out, looked up, would I see any other luminaries?
1: Oh, okay. Um, well, uh, most of the luminaries are very close to the sun right now, so right. you would you would see Uranus if you had telescope, uh, and that would be right next to the moon. So you see the moon and Uranus in terms of luminaries. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I wanted to. Do you have the ability to track a helical rise time for a given star? Uh, with your tools. If I asked you when Sirius or if Sirius is rising on that day, could you do it?
1: Yeah, yeah, it'll take me a little bit. I got to pull up some other charts,
0: but yeah, I could do that. All right. Well, I'll talk a little bit about why. Sirius is the brightest thing in the sky, just so people understand some things about it. And when I say brightest thing in the sky, I mean brightest star. There are other things that are brighter, like a moon um, that's well lit or Venus, or there's a few things, but it is damn bright. And clearly the brightest of all the stars. It is a tide, supposedly, to the Egyptian religious. And the heliac rising of that star was encoding so much. There are people who have done work on the occult who will claim that what's being represented in your dollar bill's all-seeing eye, that, that bright star-like shine behind it, is the star Sirius, the dog star that rises in the sky right behind um, Orion. You can look up the myth about Orion and and the dog, Sirius. They will further say, some people who I admire the work they did, will say that every time you see a law enforcement officer with a five-point star, that that five-point star is representing Sirius. I have not taken the time to challenge these ideas. I respect the researchers that have put these ideas forward or I wouldn't mention them here, though they do need vetting, which is why I'm asking Athen, If he sees any connection on February the 2nd with helical rising. Actually, I looked all this stuff up a few days ago, but here's the problem. Like, if I look up a luminary, it would probably stick in my mind, but a star, not so much, which goes to show you how I'm thinking about things. But you see anything, Athan?
1: Yeah. So it's going to be, when it's rising, it's still going to be, the sun's still going to be up in the sky. It's going to be at uh, about 3 p.m. For uh, Eastern time. So for those on the East Coast, it'll be around three PM. Um, but you wouldn't see it, I guess, because it's still you know, the sun's still out. In the, but if in you use the flare of the sun. Yeah, if you used a telescope. Yeah.
0: So let's let's be perfectly clear. What Athen just said is, yeah, it rises like all things do every night from our point of view, but the glare of the sun makes it invisible. Um, the point here is when we say helical rising of a star-like Sirius, that would be, oh, look, it's nighttime, and look, this is the first time it's coming over the horizon at night when we can see it. But anyhow, um, we're probably running out of time in the first hour, Athen. Anything you want to get in before we ask you to identify your locations?
1: No, I think that's good. Um, yeah, just a good year for, again, Sagittarius Energy perception. That's the big thing. With all these things coming through the news right now and everyone kind of, you know, getting into a lot of certain locked in kind of perceptions on things, I think it's very important to really, like you were saying, get down to nature. Uh, listen to your own inner spirit, your own inner guidance, and um, from there we'll be able to really see what is actually the truth and what is actually going on, and to have a more healthier, grounded perception as well as one that is that does advocate for for truth and for freedom and for a higher perspective through um, through higher knowledge and and wisdom, and to have right. it independent. You know, independently ours, not not controlled or not uh, you know shaped by someone else, basically.
0: All right, so I assume we're getting close, Jason, so I'll add this before we have Athen uh, let people know where he can be found. I have problems with so much of this because of the research I've done. I have problems with the boundaries of the zodiacal constellations. But these things open up a can of worms, as I have pointed out a number of times in this first hour, for people who have put in a lot of effort studying. And it shouldn't be that way. If I find a thing and I say it, you have the ability to go challenge it in some meaningful way and show that my logic is faulty or that I overlooked some critical piece, which is quite possible, just a human being. But nonetheless, um, I've done things like go back to get star charts from the 1600s that are not published anywhere. had to get permission to take pictures of them, took them into my forum. Very smart people, engineers, sky enthusiasts, all these people going in at it. And we demonstrated, yep, Libra was added in. That's not arguable. By the way, that is demonstrated. But that's not the be all and end all. But it does bring me around to when we talk about these things, we have to have a basis for conversation. Like when we say the word planet, I'd prefer to say luminary, but I think everybody knows what we're getting at. And if we wanted to go back to the Greek idea, that would mean wandering star, okay? Which I kind of like that idea, okay? I, I'm not really down with the Neil, my booty Tyson description of planets. That's me, though. All right, Athan, can you please let people know where they can find you? And I will uh, i need to start asking this of so guests. Are you okay with getting email from Lord knows how many people?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do uh, welcome emails. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, and, and so all that can be found at masteringthezodiac.com. There's also a contact form there. Uh, If you want to send an email directly, it's athen, A-T-H-E-N, at masteringthezodiac.com. And I do have a YouTube channel. So for those of you new to all this, um, there I do daily forecasts in terms of where the luminaries actually are in the sky every day and how to work with that energy. So if you are new, definitely check out um, the YouTube, Mastering the Zodiac, or the website, masteringthezodiac.com.
0: All right. Before I wrap it up, I'll say one thing why I have admired your work, Athan, and why I continually bring you on is because I think you and I agree that it makes the most logical sense to look up at the sky and say, I see this is actually there. This is where I'm working from. And also, I think we both kind of feel like there's a lot of lost information, and I am working to try to figure it out again or, or gain it back. And I think we share that in common. Anything you want to add before I close down the first hour?
1: No, I think that's exactly it. I mean, I think we're here to, um, you know, be connected to nature and and to reestablish our natural roots as empowered human beings. And I think, you know, the sky clock, among a bunch of other things, are just one of the many tools that help us do that. But that I think is the fundamental key. There is to be um, connected to nature and live balanced and and conscious lives.
0: All right, man, that brings the first hour of episode 202, I think. Did I get that right? Hope I got that right. To a close, please join us over at crow777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. We run a private server there. We serve our own content. The reason we do these things is because we are protecting free speech. There's only so much we can talk about on social media without offending someone's sensibilities in this world. Ha uh-huh. tongue tongue-in-cheek, but that's why we have Crow777radio.com. We don't harm anyone, but we talk about whatever the heck we want as a human being should be able to. So join us at Crow777radio.com for the second hour. Hope to see you over there. Cheers.